Well, today we are beginning a new series out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Exodus, that we're calling Can't Stay Here. Now, if you have read the book of Exodus, and I, I hope you have, if you haven't, this is a great time to read along with us. We're going to progress through the whole of the book, about one chapter each sermon. And uh, maybe if you've even just seen the Charlton Heston movie, you know that we are in for a wild time. There are some crazy, wonderful things that happen in the book of Exodus. Uh, but let me ask the question, okay, so why? Why would we study Exodus and why now? Well, it has to do with this little word, and. Now, if you have your Bibles open, I can't put this up on the screen today, but if you have your Bible open to Exodus chapter one, verse one, you're not gonna see this word there, but if somehow you are able to get a Hebrew translation, you would see that right at the beginning of this book, there's this strange little way this book opens. And it preaches an incredibly important message. It is that the book begins with the word and. Now, when I was in elementary school, I was taught, you don't even start a sentence with the word and, moreover, a book. But <laughs> clearly God did not go to my elementary school. Uh, and, and is a conjunction. It it's, takes one thought and it connects it to another thought. And so here's what God was doing by putting that little and at the beginning of the book. In the previous book, it's Genesis. You have got these patriarchs, these heroes of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And then Exodus opens with a very dark time in the history of Israel, perhaps the darkest of all times. Israel, which had begun to multiply in Egypt, suddenly was oppressed and then enslaved and even under the, the program of a diabolical pharaoh, uh, even ethnically begun to be cleansed. And so why is there this and at the beginning of the book? It's because God wanted to emphasize right in the midst of the darkest of all of our times, do not forget that I am the one who will take the past the things that you have heard about. I, God has not changed. That and is put right at the beginning of the book, especially for those of us who even right now are going through a dark time to remember that God is the God of the and. And despite what things may look like, despite what things may feel like, despite if it looks like, like we said last week, it looks like Goliath is running all over the place, God is in control and he never put a period at the end of Genesis, it's an and. God is continuing to work and he is alive and well and sovereign today. Now, of course, that's not just a message that the people in Egypt needed to hear. That is a message that you and I need to hear, especially in the context of a pandemic, especially in the context when you hear that your good friend ended up catching COVID. Um, the same God who led Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob eventually led them out of slavery. He took them out of that dark period, and it was that period that shaped God's people in unique ways, in ways that anything else couldn't have shaped them, and God used it. It was not, uh, it, it just, like, when it looks like, it, when it looks like evil is winning, we worship a God who puts an and there. That's what we need to know. And, and similarly, I think when this pandemic is over, and it will be over, 
we will be able as a church to write a book ourselves and to be able to say, just as God was faithful for 103 years in our church, and now he has taken us through this and out of this period, God was just as faithful during the pandemic. It may not have seemed that way during it, but now in retrospect, we, we can absolutely recognize. I, I'm absolutely confident that is exactly what we would be able to write. All right, so now when we think of the book of Exodus, who do we think of typically? If you're familiar with the book, we think of Moses, right? But here, this is so interesting. Right at the beginning of the book, you don't run into Moses. You run into two women. Two women who I'm going to bet most of us have never heard of, but it really is important that you know their names. Their names are Shipra and Pua. And if you're at home, uh, and especially if you're with kids, would you just say those names with me again? Shipra and Pua. Not only are they fun to say, <laughs> but they're really important to remember. That's not my opinion, that's God's opinion. Because right at the beginning of the book of Exodus, you won't find the names of the pharaohs. You won't find any other names. You're gonna find Shipra and Pua. And from God's perspective, historically, the names of the pharaohs are just not important. But it is important to remember these two women. Why? Because they are a living illustration of two people who trusted in the God of the and. Now, if we're gonna understand Shipran Pua, we have to know a little bit of the background. So let me take you back and put this into context. After humanity sinned against God in the garden, God did not give up. Again, he is the God of the and. He did not put a period there. He said, okay, and we're going to redeem this. He made a covenant with a man named Abraham. Abraham, he said, I'm gonna make you into a people. Your descendants are going to be my people. Here's what it says in Genesis 12 too. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so God, his salvific strategy is to build a people, a people who would worship and honor him. And you and I as the church are the inheritors. We have been grafted into this people that became Israel. So after a long and trying process, Abraham and his wife Sarah, they finally have a baby, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Maybe you know him by his better known name, Israel, he has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. And right at the beginning of the book of Exodus, you will see the listing of those tribes. One of those sons, Joseph, was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. And what they intended for evil, God took the God of the and, and he redeemed it for good. He raises up Joseph to become the second most powerful person in the whole of the nation of, his, or of Egypt. A famine comes. Joseph, wise, navigates through the famine, and so his brothers come down to Egypt to find food. And instead of Joseph getting revenge on his brothers, Joseph knew 
He is the God of the end. He took my situation and he made it something beautiful. Therefore, he has grace on his brothers. He invites them to come in, he gives them food. And they go back to get their father and they all settle in Egypt together where they are well cared for for at least 70 years. And, and they, they begin to multiply. The God who said, I will multiply you, Abraham, and I will make you into a great nation, begins to do exactly that. But a new king, a new pharaoh, rose up in Egypt, a pharaoh who did not remember or even care what had happened with Joseph before. So here's where we're gonna pick up the text. If you do have your Bible in front of you, Turn with me over to Exodus chapter one, starting in verse eight. Verse eight says this. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies. They'll fight against us and leave the country. Now, what strikes me about this is all of the assumptions that are going on in this paragraph. The Pharaoh says these people are so numerous, they are threatening our way of life. Uh, they're not to be trusted. Well, why? Simply because there's a growing number of them? Simply because they look different than you do? Simply because they speak a different language and may have a different religion? You see, they were different. They hadn't done anything wrong, they were just different. Now do you see any parallels with our world today? I mean, I think especially with what's going on in our country. So the point being that anytime that we see this discrimination and we repeat it, where, where we begin to look at somebody who's different and look down upon them or fear them, it, it's particularly because of their ethnicity and maybe even for the color of their skin, we are clearly repeating the mistakes of Pharaoh. Okay, so out of fear, the Israelites become oppressed. And what comes out of the oppression later becomes slavery. And then slavery turns into even genocide. Uh, the whole of ethnic cleansing. And here, here is where the power of the God of and comes in. You know, when, when things are good, oh, it's easy to believe that of course God is working. Of course God is there. But when things are dark, I mean, it's hard to explain how dark things were and how challenging things were in the midst of the beginning of Exodus. Um, and for us now, it is dark and it feels challenging and so much weight and so much anxiety over so much of so many of us in the midst of this pandemic. Those are the times when it's hard to say, yes, God is the God of the and. The God who worked in the past is still working today. But I want you to hear this story of these two women this, this beginning of Exodus in the moment that we're in to trust that God who worked in the past is still working here. He is still sovereign overall. So there's the background and that brings us to our two heroes. Verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives whose names were Shipra and Puah, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, 
If you see that it's a baby boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. Okay, so what Shipra and Pua are not the only midwives in the whole of Israel. They're more than likely the ones who are the head midwives. Pharaoh commands them and tells them, because, well, to set the scene, it was only the woman giving birth and the midwife. He's suggesting that right as the baby is born, suffocate the baby. The mother won't even know that you did it because she's recovering from her birth. So, this demonic man commands these two women to snuff out and go against God's will to protect and multiply his people. It is not a stretch, I think, to draw a comparison between Pharaoh and Hitler. Both men were out to destroy the Jews. They're both dictators that were just encompassed evil. And it's just difficult to describe how evil this man was and how dark things were for the Israelites. So these women are confronted with a terrible decision to make. Do I put my life on the line? And, and if I don't obey Pharaoh, there's a good chance that I will lose my life. But on the other hand, if I do this, if I snuff out the life of babies, well, what does that do to dishonor God? Now remember, okay, you and I, you may be holding your Bible right in front of you. You and I have the full testimony of God right in our hands. Until Jesus comes back, that is the testimony for us. Shipra and Pua, what did they have? They had stories. All they heard was, was the faithfulness of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's all they had. They didn't know much about God, and they certainly didn't know the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. But somehow they recognized, I must obey this God of the end. The God who worked in the past is still working here today. So, what did they do? Verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. And then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, well, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. <laughs> um, okay, so let me deal with the obvious question here, which is, wait a minute. Did Shipra and Pua, did they lie? And I'm going to say no, uh, they didn't lie. So follow me on this. It is very well possible that the enslaved Hebrew women, because they did manual labor, really were more vigorous than the Egyptians. And it's possible that the Egyptians even saw them stereotypically as more vigorous. So this plays into what they're telling them. But then also, perhaps, in this, as their headship of oh, being midwives in the whole of the country, perhaps they instructed others how to give birth and don't, don't, call us, don't call us until the baby's born, then we won't have to be accountable and say what happened. So that's, that's what I think was happening here. And so why? Why did they choose to disobey Pharaoh and to obey God? Because they knew that God is the God of the and. They knew that the same God who blessed their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Joseph, 
now was still at work and they bravely chose to trust this God of the and. In the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the risk to their own lives, they wanted to be a part of the hope, the hopeful and. And so catch this. Not only did their act save babies, but their act of civil disobedience inspired the nation of Israel, even eventually some Egyptians to do the same. Uh, Verse 22 tells us this. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born you must throw into the Nile, but every girl you must live, or let live. Okay, so now it's not just the midwives. Now he's telling every Egyptian, everybody, uh, that you are all commanded to do this. And again, he's doing this because if there are less men in the Hebrew ranks, there's less threat to Egypt. But later on in Exodus, 1237 tells us that years later, there were 600,000 men. Now, that is a miraculous multiplication of God's people that only could have happened through God's intervention, and clearly, people disobeyed Pharaoh's order. Otherwise, there would be no way that there would be that many men in the whole of the ranks of the Hebrews. And this one act of courage that Shipra and Puah offered gave courage to the rest of the nation. They heard about what they were doing and their refusal to participate in these genocidal plans of this tyrant. And and this whole of their faithfulness builds into God's plan. God uses it to set the stage for the Exodus. This is the chapter one. If it wasn't for these women, the whole of the Exodus wouldn't be set up. They are heroes. And then later, they also set the stage, not just for God's people, but for Messiah Jesus. And so God honored their faithfulness. Going back to verse 20, so God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And, they, and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Typically, women who served as midwives often couldn't have children of their own. And what makes this even more remarkable is Shipra and Puah, as those who oversaw others, likely were getting on in years themselves. But God, to demonstrate to us from the very beginning at the outset of this, for those who trust in me, those who during dark times remember that I am the God of the and, that I, who worked in the past, am still working now, he honored them, he rewarded them to show us this is what happens to those who trust in me. Now, of course, we live in a time when there isn't a Pharaoh who's commanding that babies would be killed. Instead, we live at a time where our government simply permits people to terminate the lives of their own babies. Now, I wanna say, as a child who was adopted as an infant, I am so appreciative of my birth mother for having endured the inconvenience and the shame to put me up for adoption. It's never right for anyone to terminate any of God's life, especially those who are made in the image of God. Now, having said this, let me speak to the women, and it doesn't matter. The statistics tell us 
that this sin is within the church as well. Let me speak to the women who have had an abortion. God does not put a period at the end of our sin. God never gives up on us. God did not put a period at the end of Genesis. He, he put an and. And, and. and in the course of this, no matter your mistakes, our God is the God of the and, and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to help you forgive yourself. You see, in Jesus Christ, no matter the magnitude of our sin, it was nailed to the cross, and we bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. You see, all of that, no matter the magnitude of your mistake, he wants to make you a living testimony to the God who is the God of the end. So again, no matter what your sin, no matter the magnitude of your sin, God does not put a period at the end of it. He is the God of the and, and he wants to make your life a living testimony. He wants to offer forgiveness, healing, and hope to all of us. God never gives up on his people. In fact, Jesus Christ is the very fulfillment of the God of the and. Just when it looked like all hope was lost for all of humanity, when Jesus lay dead in a tomb, God said, and, and on that Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead, and now we have hope in the midst of our darkness. Now we know that no matter what happens, whether life or death, nor angels, demons, present, future, nothing will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, because he is the God of the and. And so this morning, this morning, I want you to remember God is the God of the and. And you and I, like Shipra and Pua, we must be people who stand up today to the evils of Pharaoh. Those of us in the church, we have got to take the lead everywhere created life is threatened and opposed and oppressed to proclaim the hope of the God who is the God of the end. We have to be the one who look out for the poor and the marginalized who don't have a voice. We have to be on the front lines calling out hope to those who are suffering under the tyranny of racism. We have to be the ones who help the plight of the unborn and the orphans and to show compassion to mothers who felt like they had no other choice. That is what it means for us to be the people who know that God is the God of the end. And so this morning, maybe you're discouraged and maybe you're thinking, hey, look, Mark, I, I agree with you. I, I, I hear this, but what, what can I do? What difference can I make? I mean, especially in the midst of the, the pandemic, everything seems so small and so insignificant. But remember, what may seem insignificant to you certainly is not insignificant to God. Again, the names of the pharaohs, you won't find them anywhere in the book of Exodus, but you will find Shipra and Pua. They're one moment where they said, I am going to trust in the God of the and, ends up becoming the one act of faith that sets the stage for the whole of the nation of Israel. God celebrates them. They would have never thought that what they were doing would be that significant. They would have never thought that God would write their names into the script of holy uh, scripture. No way. But God says these are heroes. These, and in the same way, your actions matter. Because God sees what you are doing, God will use it. 
you may never see the result of what you do, and certainly you and I are never going to be listed in the page of Scripture, but God sees it. And Shipra and Pua's name are listed in this passage for us to remind us that what may seem like just an insignificant small act of faithfulness can be used by God to change the world. God can use you in the life of others to bring change to this world. So together, let's trust and let's remember and let's show the world that there is a God of the and who doesn't put a period there. Instead says, and even in this dark time, I am with you and I will be the one who will redeem you. Let's pray. So Father, this morning, especially in the midst of the darkness, especially in the midst of the pandemic, especially in the midst of those who are depressed and even sick, Lord, we again proclaim you are the God of the and, and we know that you are. And Lord, give us faith. Lord, we need the gift of faith to be able to stand up in these times and to claim that yes, God is at work. And so Father, strengthen your people. I pray for those people who right now are at home and they're suffering, struggling, and their families are, are struggling with misplaced anger over this whole pandemic. Lord, help them. Help them to know that you are the God of the end and that you are working even now. And so, Father, this morning, we also again want to lift up Keon to you. Lord, we love him. We know that you love him even more. Bring healing and wholeness to him and his family as well as everybody who is struggling with this virus right now. And help us, Lord, to be your church, faithful in this season, faithfully proclaiming hope to a world that needs it and hope that you are the God of the and. May you be praised through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, to him who is able to do exceedingly more than you could ever dare to ask or imagine, by his power that is at work within you, if he could use two midwives to set the stage for the whole of the people of God in the Exodus, just think about what he can do through you and me in the power of his Holy Spirit. To him be all glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations and say it with the people in your house, amen and amen. Have a great and safe week.